0: Your challenges don't define you. How you deal with them does. So, are you ready to recover from reality?
1: There's a bi-directional relationship between our thoughts and emotions and trauma and our physical health. Our thoughts, emotions, and trauma, like what you talk about so eloquently, impacts your physiology. But conversely, our physiology, hormone issues, gut issues, immune issues, impacts our thoughts and emotions.
0: That was a quick clip from this week's episode with Dr. Will Cole. First of all, I want to extend a warm welcome to Dr. Cole whose podcast is now on Dear Media. So that's really exciting. We have very few men on the network and so I'm excited to have him. This is actually a swap. So in a couple of weeks you guys can check me out on Dr. Cole's podcast. He has so many great guests lined up. I can't wait. For you guys to hear it, Um, you might know Dr. Cole because he is a part of the Goop family working with Gwyneth Paltrow. No big deal, you guys. This week's episode is awesome. I learned so much and had so many takeaways. We're talking about using food to heal our bodies, we're talking about genetic mutations, we're talking about healing inflammation, hormonal issues. We're covering it all. So, with that, Thanks for showing up for yourselves. And here is Dr. Cole's episode. So thank you so much for coming on and congrats on getting a podcast on Dear Media. You're one thank of the very so few men on the network, which yeah, is awesome. I know.
1: <laughs> I know. I'm in good company with Michael Bostic and a couple other guys out there. But yeah, it's I'm enjoying it so far. Thank you.
0: Yeah. So I... I'm a huge fan of functional medicine. I think that Mm -hmm. there, I think it's important to have Western medicine. I always say like when I had those blood clots in my lung, you know, it's like, I'm going to the ER. I'm not going to (laughs) go and see, you know, my, uh, my natural medicine practitioner. But I think that as a country, we would do much better off if there was a balance between Mm -hmm. these two things. I think that when people sometimes hear of alternative medicine or Eastern medicine, they automatically think um, some like woo-woo, non-scientific, you know, or only herbal remedy type doctor. And so I was wondering if you could give our listeners kind of a breakdown of what functional medicine actually is and Mm -hmm. how it can really benefit you if you're dealing with certain health outcomes?
1: Sure. Yeah. So I think functional medicine in many ways is the best of complementary or alternative medicine and the best of, of what Western medicine. It's not... And I, I, I agree that it shouldn't be either or. I think it should be both and. We can pick the best of both worlds. And that's what functional medicine tries to do. And then that's for more chronic Health issues and optimization, optimizing your health. And then, of course, like you said, acute trauma, if you need to go to any ER, that's the best of Western medicine. Uh, Life saving procedures, life saving medications in an acute ER situation. But when it comes to chronic health issues or optimizing your health, Western medicine doesn't really have much for us. So I think that's where functional medicine really comes in, where we can't harness the best of. Western medicine, which is labs being evidence-based and, and doing our due diligence from a clinical standpoint and looking at the research, but it's also the best of alternative medicine, which is getting somebody healthy. So if I had to break down the main differences between what I do in functional medicine and a conventional setting, number one, we interpret labs using a thinner reference range. So anybody that's out there will know when they go to their lab, their doctor, or they go to lab or Quest or another lab and we use all that data too, but that reference range that you're being compared to, which is that X to Y interval of numbers, that's largely based on a statistical bell curve average of the population of that specific lab. So if you go to another lab, you'll see that reference range will vary from lab to lab Mm -hmm. slightly. People that are predominantly going to labs are sadly people with health problems. So there's a lot of people that know intuitively, especially women that know, hey, I know something's not right here. They go to their doctor and the doctor runs the basic labs and they say, you're fine. You're, your labs are normal. You're just depressed. Here's an antidepressant. Or you're a new mom. You're just stressed out. You're a new mom or you're, good. you're stressed at work. Hey, that's all that it is. Or um, you're just getting older. Um, this is what to expect. But what they're unintentionally telling the person is that lot, they're a lot like the other people that, with health problems that they're being compared to. And comparing yourself to people with health problems is no way for you to know how to feel your best. So just because something's common doesn't necessarily mean it's normal. So we wanna look at the optimal range, which is the, the functional range, where your body is actually functioning the best, that's where we get our name functional medicine. So it's typically a thinner range of numbers within the larger reference range of people that live long, healthy lives. So we're looking at labs differently, we're running more comprehensive labs, Like microbiome issues or toxicity or chronic viral infections or hormone imbalance, whatever's needed, we want to get a more thorough perspective. The reason why these labs are not ran in the standard model of care, why they're not ran conventionally typically, is because it's superfluous from that standpoint, because the end result is still going to be that medication. They're trained to diagnose the disease, match it with the medication. So, why would they run more labs when the end result is still going to be that medication that they want you on or that you're already on? So from their standpoint, it makes sense. They don't need it, but from our perspective, we do need it. We need to understand why you have the problem in the first place. I mean, no one's ultimately sick from a medication deficiency. So when you're dealing with these different issues, let's, let's ask questions why, like what's going on? And then we realize we're all created differently and there's not a, a, a cookie cutter, one size fits all approach. You could have a hundred people going through fatigue. Let's just use that as an example what's labeling someone and diagnosing them with chronic fatigue doesn't explain. They already know they're chronically fatigued. Well, why? Like what's causing me to feel feel this way? It could be a myriad of different reasons. It could be hormonal problems. It could be toxicity. It could be a viral issue. It could be a nutrient deficiency. It could be a gut problem. Who knows? we, We have to find out. Then we will know. And labs would illuminate what are the underlying pieces of the puzzle. So that's You asked the question, a long-winded answer, but uh, uh, that's what it is.
0: Beekeepers Naturals is on a mission to reinvent your medicine with clean, effective products that actually work. Every year we make resolutions to be more healthy and to do that, we need to start by supporting our immune system. That's why Beekeepers Naturals created a whole hive of products packed with immune-loving essentials so you can feel your best all day, every day. I take the propolis spray once a day to support my immune system. B propolis delivers natural germ fighting properties and antioxidants to defend and protect our bodies. It's sustainably sourced and this spray is made with just three simple ingredients. You'll never find refined sugars, dyes, or dirty chemicals in these products. You can take it daily or when you're starting to feel a bit down and out. It tastes delicious too. I personally love their throat spray as well. I used it for myself and my girls the last time that we were feeling really sick and it absolutely helped. My kids also love the taste and they cannot get enough of this. Another product that I love is their Bee Powered. It is the most powerful honey on the planet. It's not just any honey. It's a therapeutic blend of propolis, royal jelly, and bee pollen to support your immune system and deliver all-day energy. They are so confident that you will love their products that they offer a 100% money-back guarantee. If for any reason you are unhappy with their products, they will refund your money, no questions asked. We worked out an exclusive deal for Recovering From Reality podcast listeners. Receive 15% off your first order. Go to beekeepers.com naturals.com forward slash reality or use code reality at checkout to claim this deal. That's B-E-E K-E-E-P-E-R-S com slash reality. I recommend using the Propolis Spray and the Bee Powered and check out their other clean remedies that you and your family will love. Meet your new medicine cabinet with Beekeepers Naturals. You can also find Beekeepers Naturals nationwide in over a thousand stores like Whole Foods and Sprouts. Hey guys, I'm Maddie Orlando. And I'm Lauren Orlando. As you probably guessed, we're sisters. And we're also co-hosts of the podcast, The Sister Diary. Every week, we let our listeners into real-life conversations like the ones that we have at home. We have an eight-year age gap, so we always have a different perspective on things, but that makes it pretty fun. We talk about navigating life, growing up on social media, and pretty much anything else that we find interesting. You can catch a new episode of The Sister Diary every Friday. So a couple of things that I want to dive into that. A perfect example of this is genetic mutations. All of the sudden genetic mutations are becoming the rage. And I know that for me, that was a huge component in my healing. I had my first baby back in 2013. And by the time she was 16 months, I was suicidally depressed. I'd never been suicidally depressed in my life, And I had severe anxiety and crippling depression. And I was like, what is wrong with me? At this point, I'm several years into my sobriety. Um, I would consider myself, well, I had still unprocessed trauma and things like that. But I did what my doctor told me to do, which is go to a psychiatrist and get meds. And we tried five or six different meds. And with each, I became worse. And I ended up in the hospital on one with 190 heart rate they couldn't get down. I was even more pseudocidally depressed on Prozac. They tried all of these pharmacological medications. And then I had a girlfriend who told me about this MD who also practices functional medicine in Studio City. And I don't live out there any longer, so I don't get to go as often as I wanted to. But she pulled all my labs and she was like, okay, your labs look pretty normal. Your cortisol is a little bit off, but not, you know, we could take some ashwagandha and help with that or, you know, this and that. And she goes, your B vitamins look fine, but I want to test you for this thing called MTHFR. 40% of the population has it. And I was like, okay, so we did. Sure enough, I had MTHFR. By switching, even though my B vitamins looked in normal range, right? My B12, folic acid, all that stuff, I'd been taking prenatals. Because of this mutation, I actually wasn't absorbing and methylating those vitamins properly. So I was severely deficient in B12 and folic acid, which B12 is the fundamental building blocks of your nervous system. Most doctors aren't going, let's pull a genetic screening on you and see what type of variants you have in your system.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's the system's not set up for that. And it's interesting to see, like most of my colleagues in functional medicine, they are conventionally trained there and they're in the conventional system. They're being trained postdoctorately through the Institute for Functional Medicine, but they're learning all this stuff that they go back in the system and then they're not, they have five minutes with their patients. They can't even implement the things they are learning for the ones that do learn it. But most doctors aren't even trained in this in medical school. And studies have shown that most doctors will fail a basic nutrition test because it's not not because they're not brilliant. They are brilliant. They're just not being trained in medical school when something as simple as let's just tweak this folate or get eat more foods with folate in your diet and it dramatically can improve symptoms. So yeah, MTHR, MTHFR gene variants, other methylation gene variants is something that I look at a lot because I deal a lot with With anxiety and depression and brain fog and fatigue Mm -hmm. but also autoimmune issues and mthfr gene variants either like a a c677 t1 these are different locations on the gene which i'd be curious to see which one you are or the a1298c those are basically two different points on the MTHFR gene. And we get a copy from our mom and a copy from our dad. So someone can have no gene variant to MTHFR and that gene's working normally. And then a heterozygous gene variant is one gene variant. So that slows it down a little bit. But then a homozygous gene variant, double one, slows it down even more. Mm -hmm. So the slower that gene variant is, it's like a yellow light or a stop sign basically at that gene. And this one specifically, MTHFR, like you said, it's like a massive methyl donor to tons of different things for our mood, our hormones, our detox pathways, lowering inflammation, how Mm -hmm. our immune systems regulated? So that's why that there's almost a hundred percent overlap between MTHFR, like you just said, and people with autoimmune thyroid issues and people that are diagnosed with things like bipolar or anxiety or depression, they don't even know what's going on, but it's this gene variant that slows down in our modern world is stressing out that slower gene variant.
0: Yeah. I need to come see you. I thought about this after I listened to you on the skinny confidential, because the one piece I've gotten through so much healing. So, you know, in my addiction, I got sober at 19, but still I put my body through a lot of hell in those years of active addiction. Mm -hmm. And, and I've seen, you know, nutrition response testing practitioners. I've seen, like I said, that doctor in in Studio City, I see my Chinese medicine doctor who regularly gives me herbs and acupuncture, but I still can't figure out the autoimmune inflammation piece. And it is driving my system crazy. I, I can't seem to figure it out with regards to the food that I'm eating and all that I feel like I'm doing all the things, but my markers are still all over the place. It's just wild. So I'm going to come and see you. I wanted to talk about inflammation because I feel like we live in a country of inflammation. Everybody's inflamed. They might not even know that they're inflamed, but they mm-hmm. have all the symptoms and I see it even in my practice in the treatment center. It's like, I can only help them so much. The insurance is such, you know, the bureaucracies of in working with insurance only allow me to do so much for my patients What are some indications that you're inflamed that most people are like, well, no, I just have brain fog or no, I just have this or that or the other thing, you know?
1: Yeah. Wow. That's a good question. Because it is a nebulous term for many people like, oh, no inflammation is not good, but like, why would I care? And what, and maybe I don't even have it going back to that earlier statement, just because something's common doesn't necessarily mean it's normal just because it's your everyday and you push through the day doesn't mean you should settle for it because many people can get through the day. There can be a mom, they can be a dad, they can go to work, they can function all right. And then they equate that with, I'm okay. But you realize that that things like brain fog, meaning trouble with word recall, name recall problems, like if you don't feel like you're as sharp as you used to be, uh, that's not normal. Like You can optimize that. If you're struggling with fatigue and you just are like you just want to take a nap and you probably don't have time to take a nap, but you need to, you feel like you need to take a nap. (laughs) Or if you have background anxiety, (laughs) background anxiety where it's like, you're not having panic attacks, even though panic attacks is a more obvious one, but just the background anxiousness of like tense, anxious, racing heart, um, low grade depression, blood sugar problems. Like you feel like you have low blood sugar, weight loss, resistance, trouble losing weight different inflammatory issues digestive problems these are all signs that you have you may have and i would assume that you do have some levels of chronic inflammation we can substantiate that with labs and a little bit more of a health history, but those are all like check engine lights on a car. That's something's on that. Something's not right. We have to find out what's underneath that hood. That's causing that to be there on in the first place. So yeah, it's, these are things you can overcome and heal from and deal with, but you have to know what you're dealing with to do something about it. And you have to know you even have a problem to do yeah. something about. It.
0: I know I have a problem. Like when I touch my skin now and this, I never used to have this, it swells up with hives. Like, I, and I don't get what it is. And I know, you know, I, I feel like I'm playing whack-a-mole really with my mm-hmm. health right now. And what's frustrating is that when I go to my normal doctor, which that's what my insurance covers. Right. And even though this doctor is more naturally inclined, they're going, uh, your ANA, which is, that's the autoimmune, the like standard autoimmune. I'm sure there's got to be more than that. They're going, yeah. your ANA, which is all they test you for is slightly elevated, but it's not too bad you know, or they go, your thyroid, it looks okay. It's a little hyperthyroid, but they don't actually check for every type of thyroid. Or you go in like me right now and I'm going, I'm having excruciatingly painful periods that are not regular. And this is not normal for me. I'm having cycles that are 28, then the next month, 34 days, then 36, then 32, then 27. And when I do have my cycle, it's extremely painful. And they go, well, we checked you for PCOS and you don't have any markers on your ultrasound. And you're just like, I don't get it. You, I think so many people feel helpless because doctors aren't looking for different viruses, mold exposure, like what's really going on with the hormones, the thyroids, things like that. This year, turn your resolutions into reality. Whether you're looking to try a plant-based eating, build an empowered body, boost your skin's glow, or simply feel your very best, Sakara makes it easy to create rituals that will last. It's safe to say we're ready to leave 2020 behind and set new intentions for this year. So whether you're ready to jumpstart a lifestyle change or be more mindful of what you're putting into your body, Sakara makes it that much easier. Sakara is a wellness company rooted in the transformative power of plant-based food. Their organic, ready-to-eat meals are made with powerful, plant-rich ingredients and are always designed to boost energy, improve your digestion, and get that skin glowing. Their menu of creative, chef-crafted breakfasts, lunch, and dinners changes weekly so you'll never get bored, and it's delivered fresh anywhere in the U.S. Along with delicious, plant-rich meals, Sakara offers daily wellness essentials for optimal Nutrition. Sakara's supplement packs called the Foundation and their Metabolism Super Powder deliver support to your gut health, energy, immunity, and healthy skin. Right now, Sakara is offering our listeners 20% off their first order when they go to sakara.com forward slash reality or enter code reality at checkout. That's sakara, S A K A R A dot com slash reality to get 20% off your first order. Sakara dot com slash reality.
1: I think that there's both an an intentional and unintentional systematic delegitimization of women specifically, because you know your body and you go in and you're told everything's fine and they're doing their job because they're running these basic labs and that's what they're going off of. But the reality is, obviously, if you're seeing someone in front of you or via webcam for telehealth, obviously, we're either looking in the wrong place or we're interpreting the labs inappropriately or both because it's like me losing my car my keys and from in, uh, from my car and i'm looking in my house all day long but i lost them outside it's like well it doesn't mean the keys are not lost it's we're looking in the wrong place so it's it's not enough to say well i'm throwing my hands up and there's nothing and that's when it's very easy to label someone as just depressed and mm-hmm. it's just like okay we don't need a lab for that so here's the antidepressant and yeah. many people already know intuitively like they're hormones or your cycle is off, or you're dealing with these inflammatory symptoms and something's off and there's nothing to show for it. And that's interesting that you mentioned the ANA test. Like there's this larger autoimmune inflammation spectrum when someone's diagnosed with an autoimmune disease, research estimates it's about four to 10 years prior to that diagnosis when things were brewing. So that, what you're noticing now, and not to say that Everyone that has an ANA is going to get a full bone autoimmune disease. That's not what I'm saying. But the point is that everybody that does have a full bone autoimmune disease at one point did see these markers and that nobody Mm -hmm. gave it much attention to. So there are many people that will stay in that stage two autoimmune reactivity for the rest of their life. They never will be diagnosable but they are still struggling and they're still wanting answers. And they're labeled with things like fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue syndrome. And it looks autoimmune, but it's not that bad, but it's like, okay, no, this is that bad. I want to do something about it. And that's definitely most of the people that I, I talk to during the day.
0: Because your quality of life matters. I mean, I tell everybody you've got this, this opportunity to come onto this planet. And I think the great thing about COVID is that we're all going 40 hour work weeks. Like, is this sustainable? Like we're starting to question the systems at large. Right. And one of the things I deal with primarily mental health, right. And I love doing that, but When it comes to like my body and absolutely there is that mind body connection and it totally is intertwined, but it's like, I want to live. I'm about to turn 30 this year. I've been sober for 10 years now. It's been a great 10 years. I've got two amazing kids, a husband, beautiful life. But I'm like, I want to spend the next 30 years, the next 40 years feeling amazing. And it's getting to that point of being sick and tired of being sick and tired, pretty much, you know, where you're like, there's something going on. I want to figure out what this is and let's deal with it. So that way we can heal. There is such a, I think, you know, when you're talking about depression earlier, the first thought that came to my mind is why all the depression? I don't think all of a sudden we evolved as a species to like lack serotonin, out of nowhere. I don't think the vast majority of people are actually lacking serotonin. I think that there's something much more serious going on in it. I think it does have to do in large part to the food we eat, which I know you wrote an amazing book called Ketotarian. So could you talk to people about food and its relationship to inflammation and our overall health?
1: Yeah, of course. So, and with ketotarian it was born out of my own personal experience with food as medicine and then seeing clinically how food wields a lot of influence on our biochemistry on our health with patients and I, actually my the newest book is it's intuitive fasting it's it's a part two of ketotarian you don't need mm-hmm. ketotarian to read it but it's it's a ketotarian way of eating with flexible intermittent fasting because they're two sides of the same coin so i i, I agree that fasting is medicine is food is medicine are two powerful tools, and not in an extreme, obsessive, orthorexic way, but in a measured way, a flexible way, Mm -hmm. where you can leverage these amazing benefits with just simple modifications. So every food we eat either feeds inflammation or fights it. So there's no, I'm doing nothing for your biochemistry meal. Like some are doing it in small ways, some in big ways, but it's serving one or the other. And we have an opportunity with every meal to either calm inflammation levels down or bring it back up. So people struggling with all those different autoimmune inflammation spectrum issues or just different inflammatory issues that aren't autoimmune, they have an opportunity to modulate the immune system, which inflammation is a product of the immune system in a positive way. So with ketotarian, it is a clean ketogenic way of eating, which it's my, my made-up word for that, but it's 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 not a dirty keto way of eating, which can be a lot of bacon and butter all day long. Which, look, I mean, in the short term, people see benefits from that because they're off of a lot of junk food and they're 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 blowing they lowering their blood sugar and they they can see some short-term benefits. But beyond that conventional keto honeymoon period, many people. It's not sustainable and it's not good for long-term health. So I recommend a more flexible, cyclical, mostly plant-based, but flexible there too, clean ketogenic diet or ketotarian. So what I, I did with intuitive fasting, my newest book, is that you, by pairing ketotarian with flexible intermittent fasting, it's a way to amplify both because what they're both sides of the same coin. Clean keto food. And flexible fasting both increase something called beta hydroxybutyrate, which is a ketone body. And it's known in the research as the fourth macronutrient. So we have protein, fats, carbs, and ketones. Well, we're talking about inflammation. Beta hydroxybutyrate isn't just a way to burn fat. I mean, most of my patients don't have to lose a lot of weight, they maybe have a little bit, or they're underweight. Mm-hmm. But they don't. that's not a major goal. They want to lower their inflammation levels. They want to be healthy. They want to optimize their brain function. They want to have energy. That's what they want. Beta-hydroxybutyrate is a signaling molecule to lower inflammation naturally. So it's uh, an endogenous uh, immunoregulator. So it, it lowers these no, uh, pro-inflammatory cytokine pathways called NLRP3 inflammasome, NF-kappa-B, Uh, this other pathway called COX-2 pathway, basically these pro-inflammatory cytokines that are high in people with things like anxiety, people Mm -hmm. people with depression. I mean, what your work is so important. And I feel like your work and my work are like two sides of the same coin because there's a bi-directional relationship between our thoughts and emotions and trauma and our physical health. Our thoughts, emotions, and trauma, like what you talk about so eloquently, impacts your physiology. But conversely, our physiology... Hormone issues, gut issues, immune issues impacts our thoughts and emotions.
0: You know, it's like what came first, the chicken or the egg? It's like when we talk about epigenetics and what turns those on, it's like I often say, well, trauma. Trauma is what flips the switch. And I sometimes forget that there's different forms of trauma. There is obviously the standard thing that we think about, which is dad hit me, mom's an alcoholic you know what I mean? Sexual abuse, things like that. And then there's this kind of collective sickness that we're dealing with, with the type of food that we're eating with the chronic stress in our lives, with the amount of pesticides that we're consuming. They just did that study that came out where they tested the cord blood of pregnant women and they found plastic particles, antidepressants, even though the women weren't on those drugs because they're in our water and food supply now. And glyphosate or however yeah. you say it. Why am I saying that yeah. right? Yeah. Gly- yeah. <laughs> I'm like, wait, yeah. what is R- it? Roundup. Roundup. They're yeah. finding this now that, so that cord blood is going directly into our children and it's a, you know, so it's like, is the environmental traumas are as important as the traumas that we experience in our life. And I think we're just kind of starting to become awake to that.
1: Yeah. You're right. Because if if you deal with, and I see this all the time with both sides of things, like it's like if people just deal with the physical stuff, they're gonna move the needle, they're gonna feel better. But if they haven't dealt with the mental emotional trauma stuff, they're gonna get stuck at a plateau or it's gonna still be there. On the on the opposite side, if you deal with the mental emotional trauma stuff, you're gonna feel a lot better. But there's still that physical stuff. So you have to look at all sides of the coin. That's what makes us feel great or feel really lousy if we're not dealing with it. So the foods that we eat. And even with fasting, like this is a simple free tool for anybody to have agency over their health. They're not feeling victim of that. And it's a way to, like, the the phrase that I think about is there was a guy, he was one of the fathers of modern medicine. His name was Paracelsus. A, he was known as the Martin Luther of medicine because he was reforming medicine in the fifteen hundreds in Switzerland. He called fasting the physician within. So it's allowing our bodies to actually repair this inner doctor to repair things that lowers neuroinflammation, brain inflammation, It's resets the gut microbiome. I mean, I'm sure you've talked about this many times before, but our gut, ninety five percent of our serotonin, our happy neurotransmitter is made in the gut and stored in the gut. So it's your second brain, it's your gut. So you need to have a healthy gut to have a healthy brain. It's actually referred to as the second brain in the research. So a lot of what we eat is disrupting the second brain, causing neuroinflammation in the first brain. So we have to look at this and the foods we eat, and fasting resets the circadian rhythm of the gut microbiome. So we have certain colonies of bacteria in our gut that are higher in the morning and some are higher in the evening, while fasting has been shown to reset that circadian rhythm so that second brain can be communicating to the first brain appropriately through the vagus nerve. This is profoundly important. So that paired with trauma work and dealing with all of the mental emotional side of things and healing that is the genesis for sustainable, sustainably feeling great.
0: Since we're on the topic of health and healing, let me talk to you guys about Organifi. Organifi is a line of organic superfood blends that offer plant-based nutrition made with high quality ingredients. Each Organifi blend is science-backed to craft the most effective dose with ingredients that are organic and free of fillers and contain less than three grams of sugar, Per serving. My favorite is the Organifi Green Juice, which is a superfood blend with a clinical dose of ashwagandha. This helps to reduce stress and support healthy cortisol levels. Another favorite of mine is the Organifi Red Juice, a perfect caffeine-free afternoon pick-me-up. It's loaded with antioxidants to reduce oxidative stress on the body and give you a natural energy boost when that 3 p.m. fatigue starts to set in. It may taste like fruit punch, but it only has one gram of sugar. Each Organifi blend is easy to use by simply mixing it with water or milk for an easy on-the-go drink with no messy cleanup or hassle. Organifi doesn't compromise quality tastes. They take pride in offering the best tasting superfood products on the market at a price that works out to be less than $3 a day. You can experience Organifi's high quality superfoods without breaking the bank. Go to Organifi.com forward slash reality and use code reality for 15% off any item in the store that's Organifi, dot com forward slash reality and code reality for 15% off any item. So let's talk about fasting because there's so much input online. If you go and look, there's these general claims of 16 hours or 18 hours. And then if you look a little harder, there's some women should do this and some shouldn't. And and 12 hours is good enough. And there's so much information online. It's hard to know what's right. And then I'll just say that like, for me being hypoglycemic, it's like impossible. I know that I would do so much better if I could do a 16 hour fast. And I'll tell you how I actually figured that out is I was having surgery and you know, you have to fast for like 18 hours before surgery. And what happened was, so 12 hours, right? I always do 12 hours. I don't eat past seven and I wake up and I have something around eight o'clock. But it was like, okay, eight o'clock when it was 10 o'clock, my surgery was at like one. And those hours between eight and 1130 were like pure hell for me. I thought I was dying. I was like shaky and dizzy and lightheaded. And I didn't think I was going to make it through it. But I felt better than I felt in a long time from 1130 until I had that surgery at one. Mm -hmm. So I know that you know it feel it actually ends yeah. up feeling good yeah and also i think it's important for people to understand that this isn't about reducing calories i also hear pushback when people talk about fasting that oh that's just a way to skip a meal no you're still consuming the same amount of calories or you're supposed to at least in the mm-hmm. 8 hour or however many hours you're about to tell us that you are supposed to eat so you're not actually, it's not like you're skipping calories. You're just allowing a longer period of time where your body is in a state of kind of hunger to eat out mm-hmm. essentially the bad crap out of your body. If I'm giving a layman's you know, yeah. example of how that works.
1: That, that's exactly well said. I mean, it is, it's that physician within it supports something called autophagy, which is actually literally what you just said. It's the healthy cells gobbling up all the dysfunctional cells. So it's it's sort of our body's cellular renewal, anti-aging, anti-disease pathway that we're able to do it because digesting food requires a lot of energy. We obviously need it. We don't want to advocate for starvation, but we need a balance and always eating and always snacking and eating too late is really never giving our body the full time it needs to repair for that physician within to actually do its job. So, I mean, I call the book intuitive fasting for a reason because it's on a surface, it's paradoxical as how could fasting could ever be intuitive for people. And when somebody's going through different health problems, like your experience, like you, exactly what you just said is exactly how I started throughout the t- talking about it in the book. Well, so if you're going through hormonal imbalance or blood sugar imbalance or hangriness, if you're going through cravings or different autoimmune issues, fasting's going to be anything but intuitive. Because is it hangriness or is it intuition? Is it hormone imbalance or intuition? Like It's easy for us to... For people to use the hashtag on on Instagram and say, I'm an intuitive eater. What does that really mean? Because if you're going through imbalance, you're craving things that are actually going to perpetuate you feeling lousy. Hmm. That's not your intuition speaking. I know. I also
0: always make the joke of like, tell an intuitive, an alcoholic to become an intuitive drinker. Like it just doesn't work. And I feel like so many people are really, I struggle with this. Like I actually talked about this on a few episodes ago is I, now that I'm sober, I recognize that since COVID hit, I have been obsessing about food where it is comfort to me now, where I've just been like, it's fine. Eat the cookies because you feel better when you do. And this is stressful. And you can't have that five o'clock glass of wine and you haven't had any time away from your kids in 10 months. And so it's fine to bake the cake. And it's like, no, it's, you know, so my intuition, that's what my inner voice is telling me is okay. Like we're coping to survive right now. Give yourself some grace. But then on the other side of that, I'm feeling like crap. And so that isn't, you know, it, it, I get the whole thing with intuitive eating, but it I get what they're trying to say, but it's like, tell someone who's dealing with binge eating or restricting or whatever it might be to intuitively eat.
1: Yeah. No, that's kind of what I'm, what I'm trying to have that conversation in the book. Let's have authentic intuitive eating. That's totally, if you, if you have proper hormone balance, if you have blood sugar balance, if you have proper gut brain access, Connection, if you have a healthy relationship with food in your body, you can have intuitive eating because you will have proper signaling pathways. You'll have a proper healthy relationship with food, both physically, but mentally, emotionally, and spiritually too. So metabolic flexibility, meaning not be on that blood sugar roller coaster, not having that reactive hypoglycemia is fertile foundation for for a authentic intuitive eating because you'll eat when you're hungry and you can go longer without eating, not because you're thinking about it or it's some arduous, punitive, like dogmatic, mm. miserable fast. It's mm. like you can go longer without eating because you're more metabolically flexible and your blood sugar is balanced. So that's what I'm advocating for. It's It's this sort of natural outflowing of radiant health. It's not something that you're actually having to force super hard. But when you're starting out, to your point, it's like the analogy that I use in the book is like, the vacillating, ebbing, and flowing fasting windows is like a yoga class for your metabolism. When I started, I don't do yoga much anymore, but when I, when I started first back in the day, I sucked at it at first. Like, what the heck? The, how is anyone supposed to do this? The human body isn't supposed to do this. My racing thoughts, I was horrible about it. It doesn't mean that yoga is not for me, or if someone doesn't work out, and they just work out really hard one day, and they feel sore, it doesn't mean working out is not for them. You may have done too much too soon. You may have have not met your body where it's at and it's something new and doing something new is uncomfortable sometimes. So just like yoga, you show up for yourself and you get a practice. That's what the fasting windows can be. These vacillating, flexible, not super deep fasting windows. You're training your metabolism to become more flexible. So that's what I'm advocating for because that really does lower inflammation. And that's the main reason what excites me with it, with a, as a functional medicine practitioner, that you can for free help your body to lower inflammation and reset your gut microbiome, which is your second brain. So it lowers neuroinflammation in the brain, which can be supportive to overcoming anxiety and depression and fatigue, but it resets your second brain, your gut microbiome, not only improving digestion, but actually improving uh, serotonin production.
0: Is intuitive fasting something that you should do daily, or is it like three days a week or two days a week that you should strive for a fast?
1: Well, I put together a four-week plan in the book. It's a flexible fasting plan. Week one is exactly what you do every day. So it's a 12-12. So it's, it's, and to be honest, I think that's so underappreciated because it is really profound. There's solid evidence to show that just not eating too late allowing your body to fast through the night, it's repairing through the night. There's autophagy pathways, repairing mechanisms are happening when you're sleeping. And then you break the fast at breakfast in the morning. So exactly what you do every day is what week one is. I'm pairing it with the ketotarian diet because it stabilizes blood sugar. It mimics fasting a lot because you're increasing beta-hydroxybutyrate, that ketone, without actually fasting. So it's a fasting mimicking way of eating. So you're doing that with a 12-12 in week one. But I said this in the book, and it maybe it be something I think I would advocate for you to do, is maybe repeat that week one for like two weeks, or maybe even three weeks, to give your body more time. So you're not like jumping into that fast whenever you had to get that blood draw, or that procedure. You could go a little bit, uh, take it a little bit slower. This should be intuitive and self-paced. But week two is a bit deeper. It's about an 18-hour fast, so it's about a six-hour window. So let's just say you could do noon to 6 p.m., you're eating for six hours, you're getting your calories in, like you said, it's not chronic caloric restriction. This is just about specific windows of eating. That's what the research shows to be beneficial. You don't want to be hypocaloric. You want to make sure you're eating enough food. Um, There might be a slight deficit of calories because when you have a tighter window, some people tend to eat a little bit less, but that's not where the benefits come from because they did control trials to show if you ate pretty much the same amount of calories, but you ate it in a specific window, that you would see the benefits from it. So the reality is pairing that with a ketotarian diet will amplify the benefits of both. Week three is the deepest fast. It's a almost OMAD fast. OMAD is an acronym that stands for one meal a day. So it's a 20 to 22 hour fast. And the reason why I call it an almost OMAD fast is because I want a little bit more windows of eating. I don't want you to try to get all your calories in in an hour. That's like too much. So by opening up a bit more, you can eat your food, make sure you're satiated, but you're only doing that every other day. So this is again, like that yoga class where you are getting deeper in those poses, you're training your mm-hmm. metabolism, and then week four, you're opening it back up, you're back to 12, 12. So these vacillating windows of eating and fasting Train your metabolism to be more flexible, which starts to increase those anti inflammatory, brain supporting, gut supporting pathways.
0: It's amazing because my husband just does that intuitively. He does about 21 hours a day and he eats probably like 2000 calories (laughs) for dinner because he just comes home from work he like primarily fast he just the only thing he drinks is like some black coffee and water um, because you need to stay hydrated right and um, so he'll do that and then at night he'll just come home and I mean he's ravenous and he'll just eat and then he feels great and you know he wakes up in the morning he has optimal digestion I'm always so jealous. He's like the most regular person on the planet. I'm like, uh, that must be nice because that's not <laughs> <laughs> that is not my experience. And um, and then he does it all over again, you know. And he and sometimes he does get hungry at work, and he's you know he's not doing that all the time, but it does work for him. I like the idea of of stepping into it. I will say that in my experience, just so I'm on day five. So, okay. So two weeks ago, I I released that episode saying, you know, I have been eating terribly. Like I know that when I eat paleo, primarily heavy in the fruits and veggies, about 70% fruits and veggies and nuts and seeds, and then a little bit of fat and protein, I feel best. Mm-hmm. And... I'm on day five. It's brutal. It's hard out here. I feel I'm talking to you right now. I am like lightheaded. I'm feeling all the detox, right? All that yeah. candida, all of that stuff. That's like, feed me, like give me the cookie. <laughs> Would you suggest that people make the shift to a cleaner diet before they start fasting so they don't have like a double whammy of detox?
1: Yeah, that's kind of what I... Was trying to say in the book, and even for you to repeat that week one, yeah. two weeks, three weeks, look, take a whole month if you want, <laughs> it, because I'd rather you do 12, <laughs> 12, eat clean, get that solid, versus feel like you need to rush through this and crash and then n- go too much too soon and then mm-hmm. feel like you're a failure. There's no shame in this. This is your life, this is not a fad crash plan. Take your time because I'd rather have someone lean into it incrementally, but it be sustainable than rush through something to add to your pile of things you've tried and you didn't stick with. Because this, I want you to just integrate. I want the reader to just integrate feeling great in their life. And this takes time to build just like you're recovering and healing on so many levels for other things. This is the same with your physical health. This isn't Mm going to be sorted out in four weeks. I want four weeks to be a template for you to use sustainably on an ongoing basis.
0: This is my last question. And I think it's an important one because I think when you try fasting, the first meal out of fasting is like the one that's going to set you up for the rest of the day. What should that first meal look like?
1: It's a great question. And that's why I paired intuitive fasting. The meal plan in the book is ketotarian Mm -hmm. because they're, they're both supporting this metabolic flexibility. They're both stabilizing blood sugar because as you said, this is making your fast easier. We are not trying to fast our way out of a poor diet. And, and there are some studies that show if people tried to do that, that the fast isn't that beneficial. And there's some studies that people will cite and will say, well, look at that study, fasting isn't that beneficial? Yeah, because they didn't change their way of eating. Food comes first. So you have to get that right and if, if it complements the fast, it will make the fast easier and more beneficial for you. So I think the practical things that people consider when they're eating, having ample amounts of exactly what you said that you feel best on, is what I advocate for ketotarian. Lots of healthy plant foods, uh, vegetables, a lot of uh, fiber-rich but lower, not starchy vegetables. Um, cooking them uh, if you have digestive problems. I see a lot of people that feel like oh, if i have loads and loads of salads that are raw that that's great that's healthy right i mean we think of health food it's like the salads like the personification of that but the reality is a lot of people have unhealthy guts their second brains not very healthy they can't handle all that raw plant food so i recommend cooking a lot of vegetables to have it a little bit more gentle on the gut um, even soups and stews and doing that at the beginning to get your gut adjusted to that real food mm-hmm. um, and then healthy fats uh, like avocados, olives, extra virgin olive oil, wild-caught fish, gra- even grass-fed beef, exactly what you said, which is like a clean, uh, higher-fat, moderate-protein, low-carbohydrate, ketotarian way of eating, which is all paleo. It's all paleo. I mean, all, all of ketotarian is paleo. So that's what I would advocate because it's stabilizing blood sugar. It's going to make your fast at real, a lot easier. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that could be your template to start with. And when we're coming out of a fast, I think this is important to say too. Especially when you're doing those deeper OMAD fasts, your gut hasn't, your gut's been repairing, it's been healing. Uh, your inflammation levels are lower. Fasting is a sort of hormesis. It's a term. which means it's a good stress, just like going to the gym. Cortisol comes up a little bit in the gym. It doesn't make going to the gym bad. It's just a a good stress to make you more resilient. Same with fasting. So you want to transition your body a little bit more gently, especially if you have digestive issues. So think going back to the soups and stews, something gentle, Mm. easier to digest. Those break the fast meals are really important for the deeper fasts. You don't have to do that with the lighter Mm fasts windows. It's not, not a big deal. But the deeper fast, I would transition with the break the fast meal. There's a whole section in the book that has recipes just for that. Love Because many people, yeah, they need that transition time. To give their mm-hmm. wake their gut up to know, hey, hey, we're eating again. Let's let's lean back out of this. And then in an hour or so you can have your other meal. You can eat yeah. you can eat regularly.
0: Maybe even like a bone broth. You know, like something mm-hmm. just protein, the collagen, start yeah. there and then like work your way. Out of that, I drink bone broth every morning. And do you make your own, or so I used to, but. This pandemic, man, I've got two kids that I homeschool for three hours a day. And then in the afternoon, we're at dance class for another three hours a day because my daughter is a competitive dancer. There's no time. No, I don't make my own either. There is this amazing soup place. If you're back in LA, I'll give you my number. You text me, I'll tell you. Um, But it's all organic and they have the best bone broth that I have ever tasted in my life. And it's in Agora Hills. Oh, okay.
1: Have you heard of, I want to hear about this. Have you ever heard of Owl Venice before?
0: Oh yes. I've done their cleanse many, many times. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um,
1: yeah. I like their, their broth too. I have, I, that's what I use. I have, I ship, they ship it out to
0: me. Yes. I love that they ship. Shout out to Owl. They're great. Yeah. Um, Their cleanse is amazing too. I've done it twice now as a reset after you know, doing like a week in Hawaii and you're just eating whatever, you know, even though you're trying to eat like as clean as possible, you know, what they're cooking with is not the greatest. You got to do a little reset, clean up the gut after, after that. I guess one last thing that comes to mind because I can hear some in my audience saying this is, you know, we're in this place where you know, rightfully so, there's the body positivity movement and there's the no food shaming. And there's all of these things because we have seen such a high amount of eating disorder and it is deadly. There's no doubt about it that um, anorexia and bulimia especially are just as deadly as having a drug addiction. And you hear people saying, you know, sugar isn't really bad or wheat isn't really bad. And I just want to know if you agree with this statement or not. And I I think that wheat from 100 years ago was much different wheat than the wheat that we're consuming now. Mm-hmm. So it actually is kind of inherently bad, especially for people, fortified foods. I'm just going to say this too, and then I want to get your answer. 40% of the population has MTHFR, which means we cannot process folic acid properly. Mm-hmm. We need methylated folate. In almost all of our foods, they are now enriched, unless it's whole foods, with folic acid, which actually in a person who has MTHFR builds up and becomes a toxic load of folic acid in the body. And it's very hard for people with MTHFR to remove it. And it leads to chronic health conditions. So how do we have this conversation around yes foods and no foods Mm -hmm. (laughs) without triggering people who have a history of eating disorder? Like, how do we have yeah. this conversation?
1: Yeah, it's, it's it's such an important, nuanced conversation. I'm having that at length with my patients. I'm having that at length in the book because I know if this is a supercharged topic, when you're talking about food changes and fasting, that can be a trigger word, two words for many people. So I talk about that at length because this is not an eating disorder disguised as a wellness practice. This is a very flexible approach to it. And ultimately, we can eat whatever the hell we want. This is not a matter of shaming anybody. And there is a certain sect of people that can get away with a lot of things. I, there's a, this analogy of like the mug analogy. Some people have massive mugs, some people have smaller mugs. That's our genetic tolerance. Like MTHFR, the more gene variants we have, it shrinks our, I have a double MTHFR too, by the way. I, so I have a family history of autoimmune issues and anxiety and all this other stuff. So I have the same gene variant and I know the more methylation gene variants and detox gene variants and endocannabinoid gene variants, it shrinks that mug size. That's our tolerance for stressors like food like toxins, like trauma, like stress, like all that stuff. People with big mugs, they can handle tons of stuff. They are, they can eat whatever they want. They can treat their body what they want. They don't understand what it's like to have a smaller mug because they're just like, wait, we're fine with sugar. We're fine with wheat. If you can get away with all of that, have at it. But most of the world is not like that. If you're looking at the most of the world, like you said, 40% with MTHFR, 50 million Americans have an autoimmune disease, 50% of the United States has a blood sugar problem. And I could go on and on with the statistics of anxiety and depression, and all the stuff that you, you know. The reality is most people can't get away with, I can just do whatever I want, I'm gonna feel fine. You can get away with it for a little bit, but you're probably gonna pay for it at some point in your life. Mm-hmm. So the reality is it's nice to say, but it doesn't work for a lot of people. And this isn't about saying, You can't have these and shaming people and judging people or restricting yourself. Avoiding foods that make you feel really bad isn't restrictive. It's self-respect. Eating something or drinking something that ruins your life and causes inflammation and flare-ups isn't punitive. It's actually, you love feeling better more than you miss that thing that made you feel lousy. So this is reframing that paradigm to say, this is I can eat whatever I want. I choose to eat things that make me feel good. And that's really where it is. There's a grace, there's a lightness to this. And same with fasting. This is not starvation. We're eating amply. We're just doing things that make our body feel better. So that's really what it's about. and, And this is the ethos of my clinic is that you can't heal a body you hate. You cannot shame your way into wellness. You can't obsess your way into health. So that is why we're doing what we're doing. People that aren't dealing with health issues It's easy for them to pontificate and say we should we shouldn't do things, but try living with an autoimmune issue when food causes flare ups. Try Mm -hmm. dealing with different inflammatory problems, and you can't get away with it with what they can get away with. So that's really my message when it comes to this stuff.
0: There is so much nuance, and there is no one perfect fit for anybody. And I think that you know, encouraging people to look at using food as medicine is a good thing because we're so used to in this country using medicine as medicine and it's not working mm-hmm. because if it was working, there wouldn't be children that are, that are as sick as they are in this country right now. And mm-hmm. people who are, you guys, I want to mention real quick, my friend, um, Arielle Lore, I'm you must do a swap with The Blonde Files or maybe I've you've been already, on. before. I've been, been on She's super sweet, but Amazing. I would love to
1: talk to her again. So. so
0: she's also on this network. She talks a lot about gut health but she makes healthy alternative recipes. So she knew that for her hormones and autoimmune health, she needed to change her diet, but she was like, I'm not willing to restrict and not willing to not eat chocolate and all of these things. So now she makes the most amazing pumpkin bars and all of these things, but she uses Mm non-inflammatory foods to do it. And I personally am obsessed with her cashew butter cookies. They are out of this world. They're five ingredients. They're so good. My children love them. So again, it really isn't about restricting yourself. I'm just so grateful for this conversation. I know that everybody's going to have so many takeaways. Your book comes out the week this comes out. It will be available where all books are sold.
1: Yeah, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. The links are all on drwillcole.com too. Independent bookstores, if you can get to that, support them. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Yes, and you can follow along on Instagram at drwillcole and remind me the name of your new podcast.
1: It's called The Art of Being Well, and I'm so excited to have you on.
0: The Art of Being Well, it's under Dear Media. You guys can check that out. And until next time. This week's affirmation is I am thriving in all areas of my life. And so it is. If you enjoyed this week's episode, do me a favor, head over to the podcast app and make sure to subscribe to us, rate us and leave a review. We have new episodes every Monday and you can follow along with us on Instagram at recoveringfromreality or visit our website at recoveringfromreality.com.